Welcome to the Heart of Rural America podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Radke, an American cattle rancher and motivational speaker, raising my kids and writing children's books in South Dakota. There's a David and Goliath story unfolding in agriculture today. And I don't know about you, but my money is on the underdog, the hardworking folks who value faith, family, freedom, and their farming communities. This show will highlight the untold stories of these resilient and determined families who I have the great pleasure of meeting in my travels across this nation as an agricultural speaker. It is my hope that their stories will remind us to live with great courage because we are not alone in this fight to keep producers on the land and meet dairy and eggs on the dinner table. Now let's hit the dusty trail together as we uncover the heart of rural America. Welcome to your show. Here's my mom, Amanda Rocky. Hey everyone, Amanda Radke here for another episode of the Heart of Rural America podcast, the show where we highlight great people doing inspiring things in rural America to strengthen agriculture and to strengthen their rural communities. Today's special guests are Rachel Gable and Jason Santamasso. And what's interesting about today's episode is it's a dual recording. So our conversation is a very frank discussion on egg policy, regulations that are coming out, and the war against livestock producers that's coming from state and federal governments. Uh, so their podcast is called Pro Egg, and so this episode will on their show as well as my own. And so the format's going to look a little different today, but I think you're going to enjoy the really deep discussion of just three friends who are invested in the beef cattle industry as we talk about the wolves that were released in Colorado just before Christmas. As we talk about Meat-In Day, which was an event, a positive event that was created in contrast to the Paws Act that was introduced in Colorado and the Governor Polis in Colorado declaring a war on meat by saying we should celebrate a meat out day in order to save the planet. We talk about some of the regulatory burdens, the ballot initiatives that are coming up, ways that we can be proactive in fighting for our industry, and some positive things producers are doing to really take ownership and control of their marketing and capturing the value for their work. And so without further ado, let's get to the episode. Thank you for tuning in as we kick off a new year. Welcome 2024 and all the craziness that you might bring it being an election year. Whatever comes our way, we are ready for it and we are going to take it in stride and we are going to face things head on. We are going to be on offense and we are going to fight for agriculture, for our families, for our legacies, and for the future generations that will feed the world. So here we go to the conversation. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe and tune in every week as new episodes are launched every Wednesday. Take care. We'd love to welcome to the podcast, Amanda Radke, motivational speaker, ag advocate and another woman in our industry that's absolutely brilliant. Amanda, welcome and thanks for being here. Well, I don't know if I deserve that last part, but thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to talk with you both. Yeah, I'm glad you could be here from Mitchell, South Dakota. 
So did you have a good, good Christmas and everything? It's the week of craziness, like the lost week where nobody knows what's happening. Yeah. You know, up in South Dakota, we had such a nice fall and early winter where, I mean, we didn't even have to wear coats to go out and do chores. And then Christmas day, we got two inches of rain followed by snow. So now it's like a weird, muddy mess. It's just, it's something, but yeah, winter was going to start at some point. So I guess we're just facing reality now. But compared to last year, we had such an insane amount of snow this time of year. So it still feels pretty easy compared to previous winters we've had to bear up here. We just had like 15 inches of wind. That's all oh. we had. And it had like frozen, snowy, sleet, nastiness blowing around. And that was on Christmas Eve. So it was the irony was not lost on me that while all of the the first gentleman's comments about me being an animal hater and anti-animal were being texted to me while I was out feeding cows in a icy wreck. And isn't it I wild mean, you want to like put it yourself on Facebook live so people could see, but to me, I'm like, well, it's too cold to even hold my, you know, my hand out without the gloves to hold my phone. So it's hard to even showcase the challenges of livestock production in those moments to, to people that have no idea but also get to dictate how you do your business and how you live your life. Yeah, exactly. If only they knew what we did for our, for our livestock and our livelihood. And the sad thing is they don't want to know. They don't want to learn, but yeah, you live with them no matter what the weather. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Do you guys feel like it's a, it's a war on, on livestock producers there? I do. Yeah. yeah has <laughs> been for years. An understatement. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Right now, just in the state of Colorado, on the ballot, there's potentially a mountain lion hunting, lynx, and bobcat hunting ban. There's wolf reintroduction. There's a slaughterhouse ban in Denver. There's our legislation, legislative sessions about to start. <laughs> Who knows what, what will come there? I anticipate the governor's priorities to the CPW director, Jeff Davis. He said that the big ones are wolverine reintroduction and the conservation of prairie dogs. And if he's able to conserve some prairie dogs, then that precludes the state land board from prioritizing prairie dog control on state land board lands, which are, you know, primarily out here. So, yeah, I kind of feel like that. And it could be because I'm tired, but I think it's safe to say that we're getting it from all directions. Yeah, it's yeah. an effect. You know, and, and I, I have to applaud you both for being willing to be on the front lines and talking to people, telling people what's happening and giving people the insights to take action and to kind of empower people. I, I know what that feels like. And you mentioned like, maybe I'm just tired, but that's the thing. These battles are exhausting. And I always tell people that not one person can carry the load, you know, but if we all lift together, if we all speak out, I've had people tell me, because we have issues in South Dakota politically too, believe it or not, in a red state that's really centered around climate change of all things that you wouldn't think would happen in a Republican led state like South Dakota. And I've had people tell me like, you're on the losing side of these things. And it's like, yeah, if I have that mentality, we've already lost then, you know, if you, if you just stop speaking out, if you stop fighting back, if you stop getting people engaged in the conversation, then you've already lost. I did see someone from Colorado post like, well, this is happening. So we have to build good relationships with the government to make this work for everybody. How do you guys feel about that sentiment? I, I, I kind of thought that it was feel good, but it, I mean, this isn't common sense legislation. This isn't, this defies yeah. reality. A lot of this well, stuff. 
Well, and the wolf deal, I mean, it's like toothpaste out of the tube. We can't shove the wolves back into the crates and ship them back. But like it's here and we have to deal with it. But we have to keep being on the front lines and doing that good reporting and being professional because the voters in this state need to side with agriculture and bring us into the mainstream. And I think we've seen that happen a little bit with the Denver news stations and Denver Business Journal, Denver Gazette, Colorado Springs Gazette, Colorado Politics, Wyoming, the Cowboy State Daily, 850 KOA, all of those embraced my coverage on the wolves and talked about it. And so it's bringing ag more mainstream so that it's not just like us versus them. We don't have the votes like acres and cows don't get a vote. So we need some of those common sense uh, mainstream voters to vote with us and hopefully hold the government accountable because right now nobody is. Well, and we would love to work with our government. We would love to, but they're so one-sided. It's my way or the highway. They don't want to listen to us. They don't want to understand us. It would benefit the entire state and the industry if we could work together with our government. But until they decide, you know, maybe these people do have a point and maybe we should listen and maybe we should go learn what they do. Until that happens, it's so one-sided. And and like Rachel said, the votes are we're so outnumbered in votes, it's going to take a lot to get them to see our side. Yeah, we are seeing a lot of blue legislators, though, questioning what the Polis administration is doing with CPW, and they're kind of rocked back on their heels right now. They're realizing that the accessibility and the transparency is not there, and it needs to be. So there's some, there's some big names on the other side of the aisle that I think are seeing what's really going on. But one of the things that we're really proud of and we're super proud of Jason for because he's like the grand poobah of this is the meet-in day, which came about yeah. several years ago. And that's coming up on, on March 16th. And we actually have a new sponsor, which is the Crowley County meet-in, which will actually be on March 30th down south in Crowley County at Big Blue and Ordway. So we're really excited to have the Crowley County meet-in as a sponsor of the, the podcast. That's exciting too. But That's wonderful. Uh, I'm sure that you've heard a lot about the meet-in. I know you've been visiting with Jason about it. I mean, yeah, I'm excited to connect with you guys about this because I've been speaking about the meet-in day for, what was it, 2021 or 2020? 2020. It was 2020. So yeah, for three years on the road, I've been talking about the cattlemen in Colorado and how this came about and what an example of positive leadership it was because at that time you had you were facing the Pause Act, which would have made felons out of every livestock producer in the state basically overnight you had the mm -hmm. governor declaring a war on meat eating and saying we shouldn't eat meat to save the planet and i remember reading all this stuff and thinking man like talk about kicking a dog while they're already down like this is really bad and the response you could have responded negatively or lashed out but what did I mean, what you guys did in Colorado was, hey, the best way we know how to reach the general public is showing who we are and where our hearts lie. So we're going to host a meet-in day and we're going to serve a bunch of cheeseburgers and steaks and invite everybody out and show them the cowboy hospitality and, and community. And to me, it was such a, a great positive outreach. And then the, the fact that you guys have continued it on and kind of just, like I said, set the example for other people about how to respond. And what what really stuck with me was that hashtag meet in day just kind of went viral and people all over the country were using it and talking, you know, beef recipes and pasture tours and all those things. 
And yet, as soon as it was over, it was like that all died away. But it was like it to me, if we all did a little bit of that all the time, if we had a consistent outreach or like, let me show you what my life is like. Let me show you who I am and what our challenges are and how we do this as a family. And people would fall in love with what we do in the cattle industry. So I just have to congratulate you guys and commend you on your efforts and and like I said, just kind of blazing the path for other people to follow in a way that's that's positive and and moves the needle. Well, thank you. Yeah, that thank was, you very much. That was not our knee-jerk reaction in 2020. <laughs> well, it wasn't mine either. I should have we talked before this recording started about like getting angry and recording mean things. And I remember reading all this and I had to go outside and do chores for a little bit and like calm down and just yell at myself, you know, while I'm feeding cattle, because it was like yeah, what is your re initial reaction? It's to lash out and to call these people dumb idiots. And yeah, it's it's really challenging. And I'll, I'll never forget, I spoke at the, it was the Colorado Livestock Association meeting that year. And there was a, a panel discussion. And I yeah, I think I was asked to talk about egg advocacy. And, you know, usually at these conventions, half the people check out because they're like, oh, I'm not going to use Facebook or Instagram or TikTok to talk about agriculture, you know? And so I didn't really expect a wild enthusiasm for the topic. But that day it was like standing room only. I think this was, this might've been June, like after the, the meet in day, possibly if I'm thinking right, the timeline, but it was standing room only from like the mom and pop shops that sold beef at the Denver markets to like the biggest feed yards in the country. And they were all there saying the same thing. Like, how do we reach the urban voters? Like, what do we do? Because they're, I mean, your backs were against the wall if that pause act had gone through. I mean, it would have been the end of, of Colorado agriculture as we know it. And so I, I talk about that in my speeches too, is like, we can't wait until our backs are against the wall and we have no other option but to fight. Like if we, if we get on the offense and which is what the meet in day really is, we can make such a, a better difference and, and not wait until these regulatory burdens come about or these ballot initiatives, because we've already got champions on our side that'll fight alongside us that understand, hey, I, I want access to meat. I, I want it to be affordable and available. And all of these things coming out are kind of the opposite of, of that. The Heart of Rural America is presented to you by my dear friends at CK6 Consulting, a cattle business consulting service with a purebred Angus focus. I recently joined the CK6 crew, and I would love to connect with you at an upcoming sale. Check out the sale calendar at ck6consulting.com to learn more about opportunities to invest in elite Angus genetics coming from our progressive and innovative clients who truly exemplify what it means to be the heart of rural America. And for all your semen needs, visit ck6source.com an online stud service that features some of our clients' top performing bulls. Give Chris Earle, Wes Teeman, Cody Fleeman, or myself a call with any questions or business inquiries you may have. CK6 is all about families helping families, and I'm so proud and grateful to be a part of it. Now let's get back to the show. I think it's just, it's so unfair because all of these things really make it more difficult for families, especially on the margins, to feed mm -hmm. their people, to feed yeah. their kids. And I think that is the most unfair thing that these elitists in the name of animal cruelty or 
climate change or whatever camp you want to die on, they're just taking food, making it less accessible for the people that already are struggling to feed their families. And I think that's just despicable. But the meat-in days, we've really, I say we, what I mean is Santa Masso has really raised a lot of money and there's meat-in days all over the place. I don't know total statewide what we've raised, but I think just the Sterling, the Logan County one with Santa Masso, I think he's edging in on like three quarters of a billion dollars. So has anybody sent Governor Polis a letter thanking him for all the increase in beef <laughs> sales we, we that he accomplished? That. So he said that after he's like, well, you know, he tried to turn it around and be like, they should really be thanking me. Yeah, he and, tried uh, to take credit for it. Oh. But, and one of the cool stories about the first meet-in is I was gathering up buns and all kinds of stuff from our local stores. And there was two Nebraska families in there and they had carts full of meat. And I said, what are you guys buying so much meat? Well, we heard about what the governor said about meat out day. And they said, we have freezers full of beef. We raise our own, but we came down to buy Colorado beef and we're going to go put it in the coolers. And then we're coming over to your meat in. So I thought oh. that, and, and there was a Wyoming family there that did the exact same thing, had a big cooler. They came down, bought Colorado beef, came and supported the meat in, and then took that beef back home, which they already had the meat, but they wanted to make a statement from other states that, hey, we're behind you. And, and we're going to support your Colorado beef. And yeah, right now uh, we are at 422,000 in three years. That uh, And it, the funny thing, the first year, when this first came out, I was sitting at my desk at the office and I read it and yelled explicitives and threw my chair back, hit the wall. Mom and dad are both, they hadn't heard it yet either. And I said, listen, here's the deal. Meat out day is what he's declaring. So we're going to go we're going to buy hamburgers, hot dogs. We're going to serve them. It's going to be free. People can give a goodwill donation if they want to eat. And we're going to do a little charity auction. We'll figure out what organization here in Sterling needs the money. And I made one phone call to Industrial Welding, J.D. Stone. I said, I need a big metal meet in 2020 sign. I don't care how you do it. I don't care what it looks like. Use your job. He came out. I think it's three by five foot cut out. Got cattle. It was amazing. And talking to some of the guys that helped me set it up, I said, man, I hope we can get 10 or 15,000 out of this auction. And, and it turned out our, our first year was 130,000. Second year was 164,000. And last year was 128,000. And like I said, I made one phone call. I just wanted a neat sign. Kenny Meese over at Cargill called and said, hey, can we help with the meat? I said, oh, that'd be great. Heidi Tribbett at Mike's Meat Market called. We want to help with meat. Your choice meats, the mag boys at uh, Wiggins. Hey, we'll donate the hot dogs. And then the items just started pouring in. And I kind of sat back and looked at my wife one night and went, what did I do? I don't have any more room to store items. But it was it was unbelievable, the response. And it was during COVID. I mean, we weren't sure what kind of trouble we were going to get in for having a big gathering during COVID, but we didn't care either. It was people were cooped up and mad anyway. And then when Polis came out with this meat out, the farmers and ranchers went, no, sir, we're not doing that. And they fought and the, the response was absolutely amazing. And we weren't going to do it the next year. And I had a guy that spent quite a bit of money at the auction. He came in and said, what day are we doing it next year? I said, I don't know if I'm going to do it again. He said, we're farmers and ranchers. We're eating meat, buying guns, and drinking beer. Why would we not do it again? I said, you know what? You're right. We're going to keep doing it. 
And, you know, bringing up the COVID deal too, I kind of forgot about that extra layer of it all, but it was a, a real symbol of a little civil disobedience and freedom loving Americans saying, you know what, I'm kind of tired of the government dictating who and what industries are essential. And our industry is essential. And our community is such a big part of our industry. And we're going to gather together in community. And yeah, we understand the risks, but we understand what the government is saying. But at the end of the day, we have to fight for our livelihoods and our kids and our grandkids. And to me, I think it gave a lot of people the permission they needed uh, of somebody saying, you know what, life goes on and we're, we're going to keep going. And I think that was amazing. My daughter and I, we actually, during that time, I mean, I was using the hashtag too and trying to help promote, but we did a fundraiser with my website and we earmarked money for, I can't remember how many days I did it during that meet-in week, but we ended up using that money to buy 2000 beef sticks to donate to our weekend snack pack program in Mitchell, my hometown. And when my daughter and I went to go deliver it, I really wasn't that familiar with the program in town, but there was no animal protein. I mean, these kids get granola bars, they get cans of green beans, they get macaroni and cheese. And this is for the kids that are on free or reduced lunches. And so the, the teachers send them home with a backpack on the weekends to make sure they can get a decent meal when they're not in school. And so it felt really good to get some animal protein in, in those bags. And I didn't continue that, but I really probably should pick that up again because it just reminded me of what, what does everybody donate? They donate, you know, the non-perishable boxed processed junk. And it's like our kids need animal fats and proteins too, to, to really thrive. Absolutely. Well, that's a great thing. And we have a, what's it called, Rachel? Beef sticks for backpacks. We have Beef a program like backpacks. that. Okay. In schools. Yeah. That they do the same thing. They give. So yeah, great idea. Great program. And We're actually you. welcoming the first lady of Wyoming, Jenny Gordon onto the podcast later in January. And she's going to talk about her beef sticks for backpack program. She does a lot of hunger initiatives there in Wyoming. She does great oh, work awesome. and she's awesome. got a similar program. So she's going to come on and talk about that. Very cool. Well, and yeah. Amanda, I just read on your Facebook page, you're the keynote speaker at the New York beef producers annual conference. That's cool. Yeah, that's going to kick off the new year for me. I'm headed out up to Syracuse. So nothing should go wrong flying from South Dakota to New York in the middle of January, but we're going to get there. One of my favorite things to do is work with cattle producers that are doing direct to consumer sales, which is really kind of a tough conversation to have back in places like South Dakota, where the cattle outnumber people four to one and people think like, Oh, there's, you know, absolutely no money in this, but I go out to the coast and I've done this in Pennsylvania and Virginia and, and worked with these, these producers that are doing direct to consumer. I have, I have one family that I met, they're making $8,000 a head on their beef animals, like just selling steaks. Now, granted in that, that part of the country, farmers markets are big year round. And like when you're driving along the coast, all these farms are kind of scattered along the main drags. So you can just pull in. They kind of have, you know, their little shops set up. So it's really easy to access these consumers. But yet I look at even in Mitchell, South Dakota, the population is 16,000. There's some people to sell beef to here. And so that's what I, I tell people. In fact, there was a guy from Colorado. I had written about this because I had said, 
you know, the reality is we're losing 1,300 cow-calf producers each year in this country. In the last 20 years, we've lost 75% of our family feedlot owners. I mean, people are bleeding red each and every year trying to hang on to their beef businesses. And yet across the country, I'm meeting first-generation beef farmers that are making a go of it. They're selling little three ounce bottles of beef tallow that they're making for 80 bucks a pop. I mean, they're being very profitable because they're not following the preset rules that exist of like, this is how the cattle business is supposed to look. And so they're just blowing the lid off the thing. They're profitable doing it. And I'm like, there's opportunities out there. You know, our beef supply is controlled by 85% of it's controlled by four major packers, two are foreign owned. And a lot of things I see on the internet are guys complaining that they're not getting a fair shake to which my, my thing is, is if you think they're crooks and they're not giving you a fair price and there's no competition, quit working with them and look for new ways to be profitable in this business. And so that's kind of what I talk about a lot on the road. And I have people that scoff at me or they say, like I was going to say this, this gentleman from Colorado, I had written about this kind of during 2020 of like, Hey, there's money to be made if we go direct to the consumer. And, and this guy had called me and he was yelling at me and he's like, oh, Amanda, like you think I'm going to sell beef off the ranch? Like I'm a cowboy and I don't like people and I sell, I mean, he's a sizable operation, you know, so it didn't make, it's not like he's going to sell 2000 head of beef animals, steak by steak. But I said, you know what? I said, are you making money right now? And he said, no. And I said, well, pick your hard because going bankrupt is hard too. And, you know, he got super mad at me, hung up the phone. But a year later, he called me back and he said, hey, Amanda, do you want to guess how much beef I sold off the ranch this year? And and I had said, well, probably none because of your bad attitude, you know, like, I don't know. (laughs) But he said, no, I sold $40,000 worth of beef off the ranch this year, just word of mouth. Well, it was in the middle of COVID, you know, deep freezes were out of stock because everybody was wanting to buy beef. He was 45 minutes out of Denver. So word got out and they were driving out there to pick up the beef because all of a sudden people wanted to know who their rancher is. And, you know, I'm sad that it took a global pandemic and bare shelves for people to wake up and say, like, I need to know a farmer. But that was exactly the opening we needed to be like, yeah, you need to know us and we can provide you solutions. And these people are willing to pay a premium for it. And so I try to get people to look outside the box because I think it's going to take a lot of creativity and innovation to be in this beef cattle business. You know, we're seeing dispersals every week. And to me, it's heartbreaking and it's dangerous to our food security and our national security and our food supply. And the solution to me is keeping as many families on the land as we possibly can. Because if the world shuts down again, I don't want all my food in control of just a few major players. I want a farmer dotted across every mile, every section, every county, every town across America, because that keeps us safe and free and fed. I don't know. I know people get skeptical about that mentality because it requires such a paradigm shift. But what's the one thing people are going to need you know, if, if everything goes to heck in this country, they're going to need to eat and they're not going to want to give up that nutrient dense products like beef. And we are the solution. We just have to figure out a way to maybe cut out the middleman and go get that dollar. The Heart of Rural America is presented in part by Lynn's Heritage Angus and Meats by Lynn's. Founded in 1963 as a Chicago neighborhood butcher shop, 
and growing to an international supplier of high-quality beef in the white tablecloth space, Meats by Linz is a four-generation family-owned business. The Linz Heritage Angus Program was developed to allow for greater control of the end product, a focus on using elite Angus genetics while also managing the feed, environment, age, and weight of the cattle allows Fred Linz and his crew the ability to source the very best beef produced from the heart of their Angus program, meeting and exceeding the needs of their customers worldwide. Discover more at linzheritageangus.com and shop for beef at shoplinz.com. Use code AMANDA20 to save 20% on your next beef purchase. That's a pretty sweet deal, my fellow beef lovers. Working cattle can be stressful at times, but the job is made so much easier with equipment that is safe, strong, and simply designed. I highly recommend Real Tough Livestock Equipment for all your working facility needs. We just installed the Deluxe Chute at Radke Landing Cattle, and it has been an absolute game changer as we run cows through our chute during AI season. It's durable and easy to use, and it's made to last a lifetime. Real Tough offers a wide range of products, including calving barns, panels, loading chutes, tubs, alleys, and portable working systems. Manufactured in the U.S. of A., Real Tough is family-owned and operated. Their commitment to helping farm and ranch families truly exemplifies what this show is all about. Learn more at realtough.com, that's T-U-F-F, and be sure to tell them Amanda sent you to receive an extra bonus with your order. Let's get you some iconic green Real Tough equipment headed your way. I promise you're going to love it. If I could brag, I work as a consultant for CK6, and one of our producers, Texas Beef House and Capital Angus, I mean, I, I just, just going to ask you about that. Yeah, I just have to brag about them because they did something that we don't believe has been done in this in modern history of the beef cattle industry, and that's they put beef on sale on an auction and let their buyers decide what the price was. And I, I think we were all kind of nervous, you know, how is this going to go? They were pretty much anticipating selling the beef for less than their cost or, you know, not being profitable at all. But they ended up selling four beef steers for or the equivalent of four beef steers by the cut in, in cases. And it made $68,000 that day. I mean, I, I, like, I think I kind of shut down because I was like, I don't even know what's happening right now. Like they just sold a, a cowboy cut ribeye for $480 a steak. Like this doesn't make sense. And yet for that family that day, they did something totally outside of the norm that people were criticizing and, you know, telling them it would never work. And their customer showed up and showed up in a big way and said, we want to support you. And it's not because it's a $480 steak because because it's the best steak you've ever had. I mean, it's great steaks, but these were customers that had a relationship with this ranch and were saying, we want to, we want to support you, this family. We're buying you, your, your story, your message, your values, all of these things. And the emphasis on quality, of course, but it was, it was a great day that kind of just gave me a lot of optimism about what's ahead, about the possibilities, about busting those paradigms and trying new things and giving people permission to, yeah, it's, it's great to honor the traditions and heritage that's been established in our families for generations, but it's also okay to try something new because what if it wildly works? And if it does, what does that mean for the future generations to come? We have yeah, the beef supply. 
we have we have we have what people want. We have the land, we have the product, we have the beef. And I think our biggest task moving forward, and that's what you guys are doing in Colorado, and that's what I'm trying to do in South Dakota, is maintaining control of our land, of our livestock, and our ability to manage these assets as we see fit. Because if the state has their way, if the government has their way, we won't have the option to manage our land. We won't have the ability to manage our livestock. And then what does that equal? We won't have the ability to feed ourselves to either because he who controls the land controls the food and who controls the food controls the people. So I probably sound like a tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist, but to me, that's what this is all about. And it's happening in every state across the nation. It's happening in our federal government. And the only people that can stop it, I believe, is the American farmer and rancher. If they truly understand what private property rights and freedom really means and how those two things connect and tie together. Absolutely. Well, yeah. And I thought that that beef auction was was amazing. And and another thing I think we need to start maybe thinking about, you know, we used to have fat cattle auctions mm-hmm. all the time. They still have them a little bit back east. But if we put them fat cattle at live auction and let the packers fight over them, I'm pretty sure that's going to drive the price up. But that's just mine. But I do want you just talk real quick about CK6 Consulting and Chris Earl. I listened to him on your podcast the other day. You talk about a pioneer or a man at the forefront of this industry trying to find different ways to promote beef. He's amazing. Yeah. He's really wise at being able to look at the cattle industry from the front back, meaning looking at the marketing options and how to really capture value. I think one of the biggest mistakes producers make is, you know, I'm just going to do a good job of of raising good cattle and, and managing my land well. And if I do that, I will be rewarded in the marketplace or the people will come. And I think that's okay. But where I think a lot of people fall fall short is saying, no, I have to follow through on the marketing of this. It's just like me with my retail business where I'm selling, you know, books and T-shirts. It's like I have to find who my customer is and work backwards instead of the other way around. I, I could have a ton of products on my site that never sell because nobody wants it. And so I think finding who your customer is, who is your ideal client, and then providing them a product that they want and then working your way backwards is I think I think that's really what Chris Earl and CK6 does really well. And and honestly, joining that team here in the last year has been such a godsend for me because I'm really able to kind of practice what I preach in my speeches. I'm working with producers, helping them get their payday, helping them market their animals and try new things like a beef auction. And so it's it's been really rewarding. And, and he's a man of great faith, as is the whole CK6 team. And so it really feels aligned to work with people of similar values who understand you know, the blood, sweat and tears that go into this business and helping empower people to really take control of their marketing efforts to truly capture the value of of their hard work throughout the year. That's awesome. I was really impressed listening to him and it'd be fun to sit down for an hour and just listen and not say a word to what Chris has to say. Oh, yeah. I could probably have him on the podcast every week. And I I don't think people would get tired of hearing from him. But the thing that I think that makes him unique is he's not a consultant. You know, he doesn't just show up in his super clean boots and his starch shirt and say, I'm here to, you know, take my 5% on sale day. He's a he's a rancher in New Mexico that's living the life and understands the sacrifice and the investment required and, you know, can see the ups and downs in this business because he's living 
it. So uh, to me, that's those are the types of speakers I enjoy listening to at conferences. Like, do you have skin in the game? Uh, those are the people I want to learn from. Um, and so, yeah, it's same thing there. Rachel would appreciate this, though, being a journalist. I met Chris a couple years ago, about kind of during the pandemic. And he was up here in South Dakota visiting clients. And I met him for coffee. We actually went to church and then coffee. And then we talked for a few hours there, uh, just kind of getting to know each other. And he had sponsored one of my books, Faith, Family, Freedom. But he had told me I was writing for a national publication, agriculture publication at the time. And they had basically told me that I wasn't allowed to write about ag policy anymore. I wasn't allowed to write about my faith. I wasn't, you know, for 13 years, I had written about every president that I come through that how it would impact producers, you know, and all of a sudden Trump made the, these folks squeamish. And so wasn't allowed to write about ag policy, but I was, I kept pushing the envelope a little bit. And when I met Chris Earl, he said, you know, they're going to fire you. And I said, yeah, I know it's just a matter of time. You know, I'll let them push me out. And, and he said, well, when they do fire you, I want to be there for you because I can see, you know, you're sticking your neck out and I just want you to know you're not, not alone you know, when it happens, which was just crazy coming from a complete stranger, you know, it's like, oh, okay. But a week later, they did fire me. And uh, <laughs> my last blog post was talking about, you know, my family and our production methods. But one of the notes on there was talking about the importance of prayer and faith to get through the hard days on the ranch. And so I thought it was rather fitting that that was my final blog post. And, you know, after 13 years of writing four blog posts a week, including writing when I'm in labor in a hospital, having babies. I never missed a deadline. Got a one line email with all the lawyers attached that said, you're done. So that was my last forever last stint in corporate America. It's been a blessing ever since to be able to just write and speak and podcast on topics uh, from, from without anybody dictating to me what I can and can't say. It's been, it's been very freeing. And then to have the support of people like Chris Earl that say, yeah, you go girl. And, and we've got your back when the heat comes. It means a lot. It does. It's awfully nice when the cavalry shows up. <laughs> right. Was, you know how that feels. <laughs> I do. I do. I was pretty glad to see them show up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, editorial it is, it board is a lot there. to take on your own. It, it really is at times. And uh, yeah. yeah, so you got to have good people in your corner that are saying you got this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the editorial board there at the three big papers in Denver met on Christmas Day to to defend me in their column. Oh, and I thought, hey, and thank goodness they did because I was getting a little nervous. <laughs> okay, I need to read that article. I think I don't think I've seen that. Oh, it's a there. They were uh, they didn't hold back. It was a doozy. <laughs> it was good. Oh, that's so, great. Well, that's exciting. I'm glad that you found a spot with Mystique. I didn't realize what had happened with the other publication. But I, I haven't really, I haven't really spoken out a lot about it. I, you know, I, I didn't want to be like the disgruntled fired employee, but, but now right. that it, you know, enough time has passed, I can really just see it. It was time for me to go. I mean, it was mutual. It needed to happen. And so, and it's been nothing but a blessing ever since. But I, I purposely don't say the publication name just because I don't want to, like, I just don't want to be that guy that's like running my mouth. And, but I mean, if people have followed me long enough, they know, but yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you don't, you don't do PR for them. So it's okay. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, good. Anyway. 
Yes. Well, we're so glad that you were able to be on today and we hope that you get to come out to Logan County to the meet in and we'll make sure that you've got cheeseburger or a steak and a beer or whatever you want. And as long as there's be beef, I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be fun to be able to bring books and Jason and I are kicking around doing a live podcast at the meet in because, you know, we both need more things to do that day. I think people but, are really enjoy listening to that though. And being, yeah, I think it would be fun if we could maybe even have a panel on there and because it would make more sense to have more people. I don't know. We'll figure it right. out. We've got a few months, but it'll be fun. Cool. I think we do it live on stage right in front of everybody. I think that would be phenomenal. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it'd be interesting. We'll the have to think about who to, who to get up there with us. Yeah, who knows well, what will happen between now and then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we might all be dead broke by then. You never know. And this wolf thing, I think, sadly, I think it's going to take getting on camera somebody's really cute puppy getting eaten or something before the general public realizes what's what's happened. It's uh, I don't I don't know if you're encouraging everybody to get trail cams up, but more footage, the better, probably at this point. Right. Yeah. 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 We actually have a partnership with a, a camera company that it's called Anywhere Cam and they it runs off of solar or power and just the cellular network. So okay. I think we're trying to get some of those in the hands of some folks over in Western Colorado. I, I can't imagine. We talked to Don Gittleson. He's a Walden in the North Park area and he's like the center of all of the wolf attacks thus far. And it was incredible to hear what he goes through. You know, he he just takes cat naps through the day and goes out at seven o'clock at night and he comes back in at seven o'clock in the morning and takes a quick nap and goes and feeds cows. It's just wow. more than any one person ought to be asked to do. Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, and he made a great I mean, I didn't realize that he, he told us that if a wolf is attacking your pet, you are not allowed to defend that pet. You are not allowed to do anything to the wolf. And like you said, that's going to be, that's going to be what comes into play and curbs this a little bit is somebody's dog that's out on a walk gets attacked and they can't do anything about it. And I'm not talking about a rancher's dog, but yep. one of the hikers or something. And that does happen. Then they're going to go, Hey, wait a minute. We've got to be able to defend our pet. Well, that's kind of where we're at. We've got to be able to defend our livestock. But right. what I was going to say, if you're out there listening, and you want to help sponsor Amanda coming to the meet-in March 16th, get a hold of me and uh, we'll work out an arrangement to take your money. <laughs> I would I would love to be there. My schedule is really full, but I am, as we discussed, I'm kind of leaving that earmarked open to try to try to make it work. And I, if I could add one more date, I don't know when this is going to air, but January 30th is our next beef auction with Texas Beef House. So you can go check it out and just see what all the fuss is all about. But that's going to be on cci.live January 30th. Oh, we'll definitely be watching that. Yes. That's really interesting. I want to learn more about that. PM. Yep. What a cool idea. What a cool idea. Great. And I like, I, I think we're about to run out of time, but I really like what AJ Richardson's doing too with that app that he's trying to come out with to sell beef and it's in, it's in the process. Yes. I think the app is now out. And so oh, if, if folks want to go check out my episode with AJ on the heart of rural America podcast, uh, that was the last week of, of December, 2023, but he has an app called feed the people by the people where they kind of make a map of where producers are and where they're selling beef and they can ship anywhere, but you can kind of 
get get a local source and and I think they plan to take it nationwide. So right now it's just kind of in the region of of Utah, whereas packing plant is being built. But yeah, very exciting stuff of just a guy again, not a not a country boy at all. He didn't grow up on a ranch and he's seeing opportunities. Otherwise, why would he invest so much time and money into it? And heck, they're providing solutions for producers and consumers alike. So it's really cool. Yeah, really good stuff. And his slogan is amazing. Shake the hand that feeds you. I love that. Yeah. Great stuff. Yes. Well, Amanda, tell tell folks where they can check out your podcast one more time. Sure. Uh, So folks can go to my website, amandaradke.com. I have a weekly column and weekly podcast that goes out on Wednesdays. And that also airs on both Spotify and Apple. Yes. And if you haven't checked out Miss Scarlett Radke's new book, (laughs) I suggest that you do that. It's a big favorite in my house. And it's about Scarlett's little bucket calf that that she raised. And it's really cute. <laughs> yeah, I got to thank you for writing that article about her. Her buttons just kind of busted right off her shirt when that came out. That she just, it's on the refrigerator and she's pretty proud about that. So thank you oh, for good. entertaining the nine-year-old and making her feel special. Oh, she did a great job. I, the refrigerator writing is really where my heart is. If it's, if I write something that gets cut out and put on a fridge, then I have You've done my job. It. Yep, you made it. (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much for having me on. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Amanda. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning into the show. If you found value in the message, I would be so grateful if you would subscribe and share to help spread the word. Until next time we meet on the Dusty Trail, I'm Amanda Radke, and this is the Heart of Roll America.